Corinthians chapter 4. Sorry, I appreciate those that are willing to hang in there through our technical difficulties. But we were um, talking about all the issues going on with the, uh, the Corinthian church. And we've gotten up to chapter 4 is where we pick up this morning. And, and again, one of the problems, one of the issues was... Um, you know, these just these little internal fights within the church of aligning with one person or another person or this person. And, and I, again, I, I don't think so much, maybe, you know, it kind of hit me, I think, yesterday or the day before, um, maybe a more applicable application to us or something maybe we hear a little bit more uh, when I was talking to Ethan, my son, and he was at school and there was a spiritual, you know, emphasis week. And for some reason, one of the teachers or somebody asked him what church he went to. And he told them, well, I go to Calvary Chapel in Watsonville. And, and, and they asked him, well, is that, is that Calvinist? Uh, are, they, are they Calvinists there? And um, again, you know, he said, no, I don't think so. But I, you know, you know, wasn't really sure what he was asking. And then, you know, again, he told me about another conversation he overheard where somebody was asking, you know, where they go to church, and they said that, and they go, well, is that, oh, that, that, that's charismatic. Or, you know, and I, I think maybe that's maybe more appropriate to maybe some of the more divisions that we see today. If somebody will ask you, well, what church you go to, and then they'll want to know, is it, is it, fill, you know, is it a Holy, is it a Holy Spirit-filled church? <laughs> or is it, you know, a Calvinist church? Or... Is it, you know, a church that, uh, you know, is, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's just a number of different names. Are they, you know, you know, is it really Pentecostal? Um, and people ask that either because one, if you say yes, it's Pentecostal and they don't and they're more of a Baptist type then they go, OK, yeah, I know I know what you're all about. Or they want to know because, okay, that's what they do. Or, you know, or do you guys, you know, do you guys have the Holy Spirit moving in your church? And if you say no, then they go, oh, that person's probably in a Baptist church. And they just kind of all sit there and, you know, sing hymns and, you know, and then amen and, you know, kind of doing this. Or, you know, do you guys, uh, you know, you know, are more liturgical. You know, they'll ask questions about that. Do they, you know, do they wear robes or something like that? You know, more uh, conservative, more older uh, denominations, let's say. You know, or do they have mass there? You know, they'll ask questions like that. So people will, 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 you know, maybe not divide. You know, we were talking about this guy likes this Paul, this guy like Apollos, I guess Peter, this guy follows this, and there's all this kind of stuff. But the same thing's kind of going on today. Again, this 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 letter uh, to this Corinthian church is just very relevant. That was what's going on. And people do the same thing. They kind of just sift it pretty instantly by asking uh, several questions and then they figure they got their, you know, their thumb on it and either, oh, that's great, that's the kind of church I go to, or I like that, or I don't like that because you guys are kind of over here. And, and, and you know, the, the conversation, that's great for them. You know, if they get ministered to at a church where... You know, we're robes and there's liturgy and you stand and you sit and you do this and you do that. And it's the same kind of, you know, we call it high church where they have, you know, a lot of ceremonies and, and this and that. And, and people can really relate to the Lord. They feel like you know, there's something special there. And others, you know, that to them is just, you know, kind of monotonous or repetitive Others, you know, they want to hear people hooping, hooping and yelling and yelling amen every five minutes and doing this and saying that and the pastor to be loud and very boisterous and this and that. And, and they really just that they feel like, man, they really went to church or others like they, they want to hear something. They don't want to be distracted by a bunch of moving around and this and that. And they just kind of want to sit there and kind of absorb, the, you know, there's and I'm going on and on and on because, you know, it still happens today. And what we have to do as mature believers is realize there's room for all that. You know, there, there's certain tenets of the faith. There's certain foundations, as Paul said last time we talked about, that we build uh, our life on, which is Jesus Christ. And there's certain doctrines in the Bible. There's certain basic things that we, we can't move aside, that we can't, there's no latitude on, obviously, but there's a whole lot that there are that, you know, we don't have to draw lines and we can say, oh, great. If you're blessed with that church, great. I don't have to look 
think of you as more spiritual or less spiritual, and you certainly certainly shouldn't think uh, the same uh, positive or negative about me. And so those are some of the things he was dealing with here and talking about, as well as others. And so I think hopefully that maybe gives us a little better sense about all these arguments going on. And then, you know, this he's going to kind of finish up here about talking about that in the first part of chapter 4, and then the last little bit he'll be talking about, you know, Christian conduct. And so as we as we get here, um, uh, you know, again, we, we need to remember there was a certain segment in the Corinthian church that didn't think much of Paul. Um, I, I don't know what percentage it is because it doesn't give it to us. I don't know. But there was a seemingly good percentage of people that just, you know, he wasn't flamboyant. He wasn't good looking from what we know from church history. We don't really have anything but a few descriptions of him and they are that he wasn't anything special. He wasn't seemingly a dynamic speaker. We know Apollos was, that's told us in Acts and in in a couple places that he was. And we know, you know, Peter had a lot of history and, you know, I'm sure a lot of great stories that, you know, when he was walking with Jesus. And so he had his own kind of thing. But, you know, Paul, uh, although he was a brilliant guy and educated probably 10 times more than any any of the other ones, but, you know, his style was a little different and he didn't come off maybe as demanding or in your face or, or, or whatever it was. Um, again, they didn't think much of him. And, uh, you know, so they were, you know, they were critical of him, even though he's the one that brought the gospel to them, literally. And they were critical of him, but were willingly welcoming other people that were even on the fringes and maybe even past the fringes of Christianity. And so, again, uh, you know, you want to take him back as, okay, listen, you guys are a church. There's going to be people coming and going, people that want to, you know, and again, there was traveling and itinerant preachers going around in that day, probably more than there are in our day and age or particularly maybe in our area, maybe in some other countries it's a little bit more prevalent. I think a lot of the African nations and in India where there's churches, there's a lot more traveling. The Philippines, I think, is another place that I know about. Um, so there's, there's places where it certainly happens a lot today. Um, but in the United States, it's probably not as much. Um, uh, some denominations, though, do that. But he just wanted, his, wanted the, those in the church to understand how God measures and evaluates Christian service and Christian servants. Um, what's the standard here? What, what are we looking at? What, 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 is it, what does a, a faithful minister look like? And so that's what he's going to be talking about here. And so verse 1 of chapter 4 says this, Let a man so consider us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So the first thing he said is, you know, as as an apostle, as a leader, we're considered servants and stewards. I, I like this picture. It was at the on the desk of a, a Pentagon official, <laughs> supposedly. Yeah, you know, I, I read somebody saying this, but this plaque on his desk of some Pentagon official was the secrecy of my job does not permit me to know what I am doing. And you know, obviously, very tongue in cheek, right? It's so secret. I really, you know, it's a secret, so I really don't know <laughs> what I'm I'm doing because it's a secret. Uh, I don't know, I got a great laugh out of that, but, you know, that's not us. Uh, You know, our government has secrets for important reasons. I get that, you know, uh, know, for different reasons and all this. But that is not the Christian life. It's not like these people hold the secrets. These people have these deep insights and, you know, uh, you have to search them out and they have to spew them out to you and... You know, the select few. And that's the way most religions are. Let's face it. In fact, every religion, I believe, you know, and, and again, that's what, another one of those things that separates it from Christianity. You know, you have some Dalai Lama type figure. Um, I'll even stretch it to say, you know, in Catholicism, you know, popes or, or high-ranking bishops have secret uh, deeper knowledge than, you know, anybody else. Um Certainly, leaders of a lot of other denominations, arch, you know, archbishops of you know, episcopals, and uh, certainly, uh, 
you know, there's tons of cults, of course, that all have, all the cults have something like that. Uh, and I'm not equating necessarily those two together, so don't misunderstand that. But uh, in Middle Eastern religions, in, um, in Islam, right, uh, it, it just it, it goes around and around. But Christianity is not like that. That's, it's, you know, again, it's, it's, it's not like that. And typically those people and those uh, religions, um, you know, they're held in the, the, the highest esteem. And uh, they're looked upon that way. But here is described, uh, you know, one that is great, one that is an apostle, Paul, you know, an apostle, one that, and again, you know, an apostle just means a sent one. But again, we have kind of, we kind of have two definitions of apostle because we think that the, the apostles are, are, in other words, those sent by Jesus specifically uh, or we call them the 12 disciples. Of course, we know Judas died. Um, certainly, there was another one to replace them. I won't go through all that, but we know for sure that Scripture tells us that Jesus appeared to Paul and gave him a commission, and we know he spoke to him on a number of occasions. So he would be considered one of those apostles that Jesus specifically sent. Now, there's still apostles today. There's still people we're sending out. Typically, we call them missionaries. But a missionary doesn't have to necessarily go to a different country. You can be an apostle to, you know, two towns over if that's where the Lord's called you, you know, um, and, uh, you know, being sent over there and, and whatever reason. But those apostles or even the apostles here are defined as a servant and a steward. Now, there's a number of, of um, in in you know, in, in the time of this writing, in the Roman culture, um, there was a number of words uh, that we typically don't use today of, of servants and slaves and degrees of stewards because it typically just doesn't happen in our society. So we really don't have nuances to those words. Um, now, other languages do, and other countries still have all that. So, you know, they, they still have that thing. But at this time, and of course, written in the New Testament, written in, in Greek, does have, and I don't go into the original languages a lot because, well, anyway, I won't go down that road, but here I just, I want to make it clear because, you know, there are nuances in, in, in calling a servant and a slave, and there could be, and there's different words for that. Um, in this case, this, they're not using the word slave here. They're using the word, he's using the word servant. And, um, it's 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 subordinate uh, functioning to uh, as a free man. Um, we, it's not exactly equal, and you know I, it breaks down at some point pretty quickly. But think of it more of an employee, right? This is not necessarily a slave. Now, there's plenty of times where the word slave is used. You know, a, a bond servant is, is used where you're a slave and you've committed, but you freely committed yourself. That's not the word he's using here, although that has uses and he uses that at times, but that's not the word he's using here. Sometimes people um, use this as, uh, you know, the term under rower, where you're, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like it has a whole lot of good application for us today because we don't row boats, right? But you know, the captain gives the people rowing the boat the, the direction. This is what you do. You answer to the captain. He says, row, and you row, okay? Uh, it's not, people still use that illustration because it's from back in that time, but it, it's not probably the greatest. <laughs> it's like the boss says, you need, I'll give you an example. I, when I was in high school, I worked at a, uh, a nursery for a number of years, actually, two or three years. And I'd worked there a lot. And then I remember one time that the boss came up, the manager, who happened to be the, son, the owner's son. Um, and it was a big place, it, a lot of employees. And he said, uh, Dylan, I need you to go clean up the men's room. Somebody blew it up. <laughs> we call it blow it up today. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, I am not, I, you know, I have my job here, but one of my jobs is not cleaning up the restroom. And I don't think I said it in that way. And I was in high school, okay? So, you know, you know, a high schooler, but I had like no desire to clean up this restroom. And I said, 
I won't go much further. But I said, why don't you get one of those guys that work in the back there planting plants to do that, you know? Uh, he goes, no, I, I need to get it done now. And so I did it. I, you know, I, I didn't want to do it, but, you know, he asked me to do it. I didn't really want to do it. I tried to get out of it a little bit, but in the end of the day, it needed to be done. So I did it. And I guess in the same way, you know, that's how he's describing it. You have the boss, you have the Lord, and he's asking you to do something. It's not a pretty job. It's not a, you know, glamorous job. It's not a, something that people are even necessarily thankful for or known about. But it's that, that's a description. Again, the illustration breaks down at some point, but you get my point. That's how he's describing the minister. One of the words he's using that. And um, again, uh, uh, captain gives you the order, you row, because it's a lot of people use the word under rower, but again, uh, I, I like this story. So there was a pastor in, the, in this church in, in Pittsburgh, the story goes, and he was told uh, this conversation with him. He had this member, you know, had this conversation with a member of the flock, and he said, "You know, you teach, you preachers talk a lot about do unto others, but when it gets right down to it, it comes down to basin theology." And this pastor's kind of shaking his head, and he said to the man, "Basin theology? Well, what's that?" And the layman he answered and said this, and I'll put the quote up here. He said. You remember what Pilate did when he had a chance to acquit Jesus? He called for a basin and washed his hands of the whole thing. But Jesus, the night before his death, called for a basin and proceeded to wash the feet of the disciples. It all comes down to basin theology. Which one will you use? <laughs> and I like that. I think it's a pretty good story. Which one will you use? And Paul's saying, listen... Am I the guy like, nah, I got nothing to do with this? Or I'm the one that, no, I'm going to get my hands in there and wash the feet, right? And that's what Paul is saying here. That, that's what he's saying. One of the things are, is that we are a servant. And you're getting down in sometimes in some pretty disgusting, we would say maybe, uh, things. That, that's, that's part of the role. You, you want to look at who is going to, you know what? Uh, 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 you know a, a great servant uh, of of Christ is. Uh, you know what it looks like. You know when all these people want to come in and speak and talk and do this and tell you this. And let me tell you, one of them is there a servant? As I labored in that whole long description. And the other thing he said is that they're also going to be stewards of the mysteries of God. And, and again. Uh, think about this. Uh, now, a steward in, in those days was a slave, but he was a slave with position. I think the great example of this is Joseph, right? He was, he was bought as a slave in Potiphar's house, but eventually he was made steward. So basically, he ran all of Pot, Potiphar's house, right? No, every, everything went through him. He was the boss, and Potiphar didn't have to do anything, yet he answered to Potiphar, but yet he controlled all the other people. Pretty much they all work for him. But he still answered to Potiphar. And, and he was a, a steward. He was a slave. But, you know, in, in relation to other slaves, well, he had some position, um, but he wasn't the boss of everything. He still was a slave because he reported to Potiphar. And again, a steward is, a, is a, a person who manages everything for the master, but he himself owns nothing, right? Joseph didn't own anything. It was all Potiphar's. He managed it all. It wasn't his. He didn't own anything. He, he had responsibility and authority, but at the end of the day, he owned nothing. And I think that's just a great thing. It's a great test. I know wherever your travels take you, wherever the Lord has you, whatever happens is that, you know, this first, you know, uh, this, this description of what a, a leader, uh, an apostle, uh, someone in the church like this, this is, this is the biblical description of what they should look like. So we have a servant, we have they're stewards of the mystery of God. In other words, they keep what's important, the word of God, that it's serious, they know that, they understand that, they know the workings, all that. But again, it's not theirs, 
They're not special. They're still a slave. They're like all the other slaves. They report to the master, but they do have a special place, yet they own nothing. And, and then we're told a little bit more about that in verse 2 about a steward. And he said, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So, yes, you know, you, you know you're to, to be that servant and you're to be a, a steward with the mystery. You have that responsibility, you know, just like Joseph was a steward. He had the responsibility. But in that responsibility, then you need to be faithful to the master. And again, uh, the steward's job was not to please the members of the household. He was not to please any of the other servants. That wasn't his role. He was to please his own master and to do what was supposed to be done according to the master. That is a definition of a good servant. You know, uh, again, he, he didn't worry about pleasing everybody else and making sure what they liked and you know, making sure this and, you know, wanting them to like you and agree with you and be your friend, you know, all that stuff. That, that, that was not one of the requirements. It was to be faithful in what he was called to do by the master. And it, one of the things, you know, people can tend to do, we can tend to pander to people's desires and personalities and demands or, or expectations in the church. And that happened in this day, happens in uh, the, our day today. But let me just remind us all, it's a bottomless a pit if you try to please everybody. And you, you, know, you try to please this person and this person, and hopefully this person's going to be happy, and you're going to do what this person, you know, oh, let's do this, and let's do that, and let's, you know, the, uh, the, you know and all this stuff. And, and you, know, you try to balance, every, you would go crazy, and then you would end up, probably at the end of the day, not doing the job faithfully and certainly not pleasing the one that you need to please, which is the master. Now, that doesn't mean people are cruel. and like, hey, I don't listen to you. I serve one. You know, it's, it's not that. Don't misunderstand me. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're worried about what people think, you know, particularly in this position that he's talking about and what, you know, they want and what they feel is, you know, this and let's do that, you know, all that, you know, and you, and you try to just, you know, please that. If you've ever been to a church board meeting where there's so many conflicting views, you know, you kind of go crazy. Well, I, if we're going to do that, then I'm going to do, you know, well, if we're not going to do that, you know, if, if you're in a room where there's people like that, it is just sucks the life out of you, and you realize that there's just no way, no matter what is done, not everybody's going to be happy because everybody's demanding or wants or sees or doing this. And, and Paul said, at the end of the day, you don't do that. You know, it's impossible to please them, so we don't. But, verse 3 says, with, with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now, if you have a little more modern translation, it, it, it reads a little bit smoother than that. But let me just break it down to you what, what's said here. So our place, right, as a steward, and that, you know, uh, we are stewards, are responsible, we're called to be faithful. But we uh, are called to please and to listen and to be accountable to the Father. But there are others in the mix, Right? There are, um, you know, there's these other people that think about this and, and uh, well, I don't like how you do this and I don't ha like how you say this and how come we're not doing this? And there's other things, you know, in the mix. Well, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with those people in the church boardroom or in the church general meeting or, uh, you, you know, whatever it is and some church situation like this. I mean, you know, he, he, he talks about all that. This is what it should look like, but and, and this is what it is, but then you have all these influences here and you have all those things. 
So this, Paul says, listen, this is how we deal with that. There, there are three judgments that we'll you know, all sit before, or, or all sit before, or will sit before. And the first one, it, he, he says here, like it or not, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of others. <laughs> like it or not, people are going to judge you and look at what you say or what you do or how you act or what you're doing. And again, this is really sp- spoken in the context of the church. We're not really talking about, you know, um, you know, there's whole applications to non-believers and our testimony and all that. We're really talking about the church here now, okay? So just make sure we keep kind of keep focus on on that, because that's that that's the subject matter here. And I'm not saying it doesn't have application to others, but we're talking in, in the church here. And and there are going to be people that don't like what you say or disagree with what you say, or you're moving in this direction as 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 a servant, as a as a steward, as someone, you know, uh, responsible in a church. They're not gonna like it. And it's something that can't be avoided. And what he is saying here is, though he was sensitive to the opinions of others and understood that there's opinions of others, but that opinion cannot be uh, become the guiding principle of my life, Paul would say. I, I, I know you guys have strong opinions about this, and we'll get into what some of those things are as we go through this letter, and, and, and this and that, and I know they're out there, and I know there's some judging, and I know you don't think this is up to snuff, and I know you think this is too much, or this is too little, or whatever it is, or, you, you know, and I know they're out there. I'm recognizing that. People will do that um, in the church with each other and other people as well, and I'm, I'm sensitive to that matter. I understand that's there, but that can never be my guiding principle in life. There's going to be that, but I can't allow that to move me off what the master's will is. That goes for the person in the church, or the per- person overseeing some of the things of the church, or overseeing uh, the church itself in, in some fashion. Okay, it, It's just going to happen. We just can't be moved by everybody's opinions because they're all over the place, and a lot of people are based on you know, what they're feeling any particular time, or they have this you know, big thing going on and they want to really move in this direction or this or they don't want this or they like this you know it's just it's all over the place and I'm not saying they're bad or wrong don't misunderstand me those opinions those desires necessarily aren't wrong or sinful in fact I'm, I, I assume let's assume that they're not at all there's probably some selfishness and whatever opinionated things in there too but let's just assume they're not but again are we pleasing what anybody particularly thinks at any given time, or do we follow what the master is doing? Are we the steward? Are we the servant? And he said, I realize those opinions are out there, but I can't allow them to interfere with orders from headquarters, <laughs> right, from, from the master. And then the second thing that happens, right, you get this judgment seat of your own conscience, is my conscience a safe guide? Paul says it's not an accurate guide. So then you're like, oh man, am I doing the right thing? Should I have been doing this? Should I not be doing this? So you have other people's you know, influence and opinions that go on. And then you got your own swimming around there, right? Oh man, did I do this? Did I say that right? Should I have said that? Should we have done that? Should we have not done that? You know, should have this happened? Should we have done, you know, then you got all this second guessing going on in your mind, you know, and, and this is all going on. You're dealing with the outside, you're dealing with the inside, um, you, you know, and, uh, you, you know, do you, do you follow what your conscience is feeling? We, we would say, I, I'm, I'm using that as our conscience, the way we're feeling about it. And particularly not using the Holy Spirit leading us, I'm saying our own conscience, because we deal with that. And sometimes it can be aligned with the Holy Spirit, and other times it's just us. You know, our feelings, our emotions, you know, oh, we let the Lord down, I should have done that, or I, or I did that, and you know, this, it's you know, all over the place. And he's saying, you know what, you, you can't, that's not an accurate guide, you know, uh, we are to be led by the Spirit, but how I feel about it, uh, about me, is always there. So I might even think, okay, I felt like, Lord, that's what you're saying, that's what I'm doing, but then, you know, there are these doubts that raise up in my own mind. And, and, 
what he's saying is you're, you're going to deal with that too. And there's this fine line between a clear conscience and a self-righteous attitude as well. Uh, so we must beware. You know, some people, you know, get, feel like oh, clear conscience and then they develop, okay, I'm doing this. And then they get developed this self-righteous attitude. Got to be careful of that too. And again, when we're dealing with judging ourselves, you know, we can be very severe on ourselves or we can cast ourselves in the leading role, <laughs> you know, and everywhere in between. And generally, we distort that. Paul understands that. I go through that, he says. I go through the court of opinion of people in the church and what they think and this and that. Then I go through the court of opinion of my own conscience. I feel that's, that's right. I'm doing that. Well, look at that. I, yeah, I know the Lord said to do that. And then I well, start getting some ego going there. Or like, man, I really blew it. You know, I came into Corinth and I was down and out. Maybe I should have been more of a this. A, you know, I should have done this. You know, right? We have these things. You know, we can be very hard on ourselves or we can be patting ourselves on the back. And he says, listen, I don't even listen to that. I'm not worried about the court of people's opinion. I don't even want to worry about the court of my own opinion going in there because I can distort that and I can make myself way lower than I should be or way higher than I should be. And somewhere out, out there is the truth. And there's so much of the time he says, we can't sort it out. So, so you know what? I don't even, I'm not even going to try to bother that. I know who can. The Lord. <laughs> And I'm going to let him sort it out. And yeah, if I do make mistakes or if I get up my high horse a little bit too much, you know, I trust the Lord that you're going to correct me. If I, uh, there's things out there I should be doing that I'm not doing or I'm doing that I'm not doing or this or that or something, I'm going to trust that you're going to sort that all out. And the bottom line is there is going to be a time when the Lord does all that. You know, there is going to be the courtroom of God or the rewards that he said here, right? Um, where every believer is going to sit before this judgment seat of Christ. Now, it's not the judgment seat spoken in Revelation 20 of, you know, your works are being judged and, okay, are you going to go to heaven or hell? Because nobody goes to heaven that sits in front of God's judgment seat in Romans chapter, I'm sorry, in Revelation chapter 20. You're judged for your works. You're not based on anything in faith of the the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross paying for your sin. Now you're going to try to stand on your own. Are you a good enough person? Did you do good enough? Did you do more good than bad? And people think that that's their way they're ticking into heaven. And the Bible shoots that down in, in flames. Everybody that does that, well, I'll go back, what, 20 years. <laughs> lose, you lose. You go to hell. The light's blinking again. I'm not sure if we're down or not. But... but uh, uh, again, um, you don't. Nobody can stand on their own. So that's not what we're talking about here. Believers will stand before, as we'll get into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 10. We've talked about that. Where you know he's going to discern through all that. He's going to cut through all that. Oh, that was a little bit of your ego there. Or man, you're way too hard on yourself. You're going to get rewarded for that. You know, and, and everywhere in between. We're going we're gonna to stand before that. And one day, as he says here... Everything will be sorted out. The Lord will make sure. So just remain faithful. You know, uh, not worrying about this on the outside or on the inside. You just try to do what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do. And, you know, if there's some corrective moves that need to be done one way or another, the Lord's going to be faithful to do that. And, you know, other people that are saying this or that or whatever, one day, you know, they will... Uh, everything will be worked out and be revealed as it should be. So just remain faithful. And again, the important lesson here is since we really don't know other people's motives and we have a hard time with our own motives, then this is the key. Just love people and let God sort them out. Don't try to figure out what their motives are and get down to this or even try to just spend so much time working out your own motives. Just love people, love God, and in the end, He's going to sort it all out. There's some sure things there, right? We talked about a servant. We talked about being a steward. We talked, we're not, you know, we're, 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 there's a foundation there. There's a standard there. But then there's all this other stuff, and, and all this other stuff is let Him sort it out. Love those people and let God sort it all out. 
And I know people are saying things about me, Paul would say. They're saying things about the ministry. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to let it affect my service or my faithfulness to the Lord, and neither should we. And it's going to be there your entire Christian life. So it's a great lesson to learn here. It really is. Now he'll, he'll continue on with this and get a little more specific with the specifics that were going on there. Verse 6, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. For who makes you different from one another? And what do you have that you do not that you do not receive? Now if you did I'm sorry, now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So now he kind of changes the page a little bit. Okay, well, let's go back to this whole thing about you thinking this is better and this is more spiritual and this person is better and all this kind of stuff. Uh, again, you know, Paul talked about he was the first to share the gospel. Remember, he planted the seed and Apollos came by and encouraged them and what he called watering it. He was giving an illustration of, of, of growth of plants and, and this and that. But it was all the work of the Lord. Remember, we talked about that last time. So, because it's all the Lord's work, it doesn't matter what this person's role is, or this person's role is, or that person's role is, or who they are, or what they look like, or how they sound, or this or that, or whatever. There's no reason to boast or be proud about what God did through anyone, or what God does through you. I think this is a great, you know, one of the reasons I said when we started out here, and of course the sound probably wasn't coming through at that time, but is have your Bible open. You know, if you're watching online and you can't be here for one reason or another, I did spend some time talking about how important it was that we do that and we get back to that, but this is one of those great things I think is a good to underline or highlight in your Bible uh, because... You know, what do we have that we didn't receive from God? Nothing. You know, people uh, that don't know Him will show off and they'll brag about what they have or what they can do. Um, our television is littered with TV shows like that. You know, they'll follow famous people uh, or people that are, you know, I don't know, the one that jumps into my mind is the Kardashian kind of thing, but there's all kinds of entertainment tonight or even, uh, uh, you know, on the business side, people that are very savvy in business or they're, you know, there's, uh, you know, they're real good, you know, musician channels or fashion designer channels or, you know, blog, not blog, sorry, that's going way back, but you know what I mean, websites and uh, YouTube channels and Instagram thingy jiggers and you know, all that kind of stuff that just like to show off how great and, oh, look what they have, look what they did, look what they accomplished. And, you know, there's so many reality shows that did this. And um, let me just remind us that pride is spoken of very harshly in Scripture. You know, Jesus explained this to the disciples so many times about pride. And, of course, you remember that story about James and John coming to Jesus and then his mother coming to him. At another time, hey, hey, can my boys really be up there? Can they be on the right and the left? You know, the number one and number two guys kind of a thing and all that. You know, and all this pride and all this stuff. But whatever we have and whatever gifting the Lord's given us or wisdom or insight or resources or talent, whatever it might be, you know, what do we have that's not been given to us? We can't be like the world who likes to, just to receive the pats on the back and see how special it is and see how wonderful they are. I mean, people just major in that all the time. I don't know about you, and I'll step outside the box here a little bit, but if I hear one more thing about Will Smith and Chris Rock, I'm just going to scream. Who cares about... <laughs> that has dominated the news. It is the stupidest thing in the world. And whether you believe Will Smith was defending his wife or he was committing a violent act, whatever side... 
Why are we wasting so much time on something so frivolous when there are so many more important things to go in the world? But yet that's what everybody wants to talk about and everybody wants to post. Oh, this guy posted on Twitter and that guy's on Instagram. And oh, that guy gave a quote when he was doing an interview. You know, that, that's all about pride. It's all about show off and me and talking and then get my attention in the news because this got news. And so when I quote on it, then I get in the news. You know, it's, 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 it's insane. It's insane. And, and, and pride is just such a, it's spoken so harshly in scripture. We just need to be careful. And, and, and the church, it shouldn't happen. I, I'll put this picture up because, you know, this is how Jesus explained it. And it's, it's not perfect, but, you know, it's the best I could do on Google pictures. Okay. But, you know, remember the, the Christian model is, well, look at me, look how great I am. I didn't do this. And Paul, look, yeah, Paulus might be a great speaker, but where did he get it from? Because he's such a great guy? He got it from God. I might be able to spread the gospel to places that nobody's ever been, but is it because I'm such a great guy? No. It's God working through me and anywhere in between and all that. And again, the Christian life is, right? In the world, it's the pyramid. The Elon Musk, the Jeff Bezos, the... Apple guy, can't remember his name off, off the top of my head. It's the Academy Award winners that just got the Academy Awards. Top, top, top. These are top, top, top tier guys. You know, and everybody else is a lowly, lowlies underneath here and all the support. And they get up there and say, well, I'd really like to thank, you know, Joe Blow and Sam Sneed and, you know, uh, blah, 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 you know, and all these people that, you know, you know, all the ones underneath. I'm at the pyramid, but, you know, they're... listen. That is not what the Bible teaches. That's not what, as a matter of fact, he's, again, telling us what it's like. It's just the opposite. It's the true leader is the one at the bottom. He is the servant. He is the steward. And he just does what the master says. It's upside down. It goes, runs against contrary to, to our society here. And we need to remember that. God's pyramid, if you would, is upside down. And we really need to watch out for pride in our lives. Why do we say the things we say and do the things we do sometimes? It's because of pride. And Paul said there's just no place for that. You guys are getting puffed up with pride on certain issues in the church. And it's out there in the world. Do not bring it into your life and into your Christian life and into the church. Because it's gonna it, it, it tears apart the world and it's going to tear apart the church. And God, I'm telling you, speaks harshly on that. You know, again, the old proverb, the seven things God hates, pride's up there, hates. Yes, I know, it's not something everybody would like to think of in terms of our Heavenly Father, but it's one of those things. And so Paul's saying, at the end of the day, whatever position you have or whatever place you have, it's just been given to you by God, and if it's been given to you, all you can do is saying, hey, it was just given to me, and he's led to me, and he gave it to me, and... It's his, and I'm just the one that is supposed to faithfully use it in the way he's called me to. And then he kind of gives this tongue-in-cheek little thing in verse 8. He says, "And you are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign that we also might reign with you. This is what... You know, a lot of people like to call you know sanctified sarcasm here. You guys think you have it all together and you have it all right. Oh man, you're already full. You already know everything. You got it all together, we would say today. You 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 know, you're arranged, you're at the top of the pile, you're at the top of the the pyramid going this way. You you already got it all. In your own minds, that's what you think, and you got it all here. And, and again, uh he's it's sarcasm here. You know, there are many in the church that feel that way. You know, they're, they're so ahead. Uh, they don't really need to hear what the, you know, the preacher has to say. They really don't need to attend prayer meetings. They don't really need to read their Bible that much because they know so much. And, you know, really, do I really need to go to church that much? I mean, I know more than 80% of the people that go to church anyway. You know, I've read my Bible enough. I've been a Christian long enough. And people get that attitude. People think, you know what, I've arrived, I've, I've accomplished, I know, and, you know, I know so much more, and, you know, 
I just can't tell you how many people that just come and go, even in our church, that have that kind of attitude. I already know it all. You know, what, what, what am I going to, you know, what am I going to get out of, you know, church and hearing the Bible being taught and everything? And when a person gets to that point, you know, Paul's saying, <laughs> not a good place. Not a good place. As a matter of fact, you know, this is a place of, of, of where I am, verse 9, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are uh, distinguished, but we are dishonored. You know, you think you got it all together and you know all this and look how good you are and look how many great things you are and look how spiritual you are and everything. And let me just tell you a little bit about, you know, what's going on with those and, and with us planning the church and going out and sharing the Gospels, particularly this time to, to new areas and doing this. You know, pretty much we're the lowest of the lowest. You know, we're a slave to a servant. <laughs> you know, at the bottom... And of course, you know, it talks about, uh, you know, the idea here is that the Roman procession, right, when they would come in and they had conquered a new area or overtook something or put down some rebellion or did some great thing, you know, the, 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 the number one general would be right there out in front, and everybody would be cheering, and then his soldiers and everything would be there right behind him, and then usually they would bring behind the spoils that they captured, you know, carts and stuff full of gold or well-made things or expensive things or whatever they had taken from the battles or the conquering of a city or whatever it might have been or a region. And then the last people in line would be some of the people that they captured. And they would be, you know, probably handcuffed and chained and just dragged along at the, at, at the back. And that's what Paul is kind of describing himself as, as being that way, the apostles. You know, and again, those guys were typically condemned to death, uh, you know, as it still happens in this place today. Um, but again, you know, he says, you guys are looking to be recognized and have this position and think of all this stuff. But, you know, a lot of times the role of, of the true Christian, there's just this great price you pay. And, and, there, and humility comes at a cost. And you become a target for those. And, and again, uh, there's just no room for people who think they, all have, they have it all together in the church. It, it, it just causes nothing but problems in the church. Again, humility, being at the bottom of God's pyramid, if you would, of, of authority and power or whatever, you know, that's what it is, that upside-down pyramid. That's what it's like, and it's going to come at a price in a lot of ways. And then he goes on even to describe his personal circumstances in verse 11. To this present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. And we have been made as the filth of the world and or the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. And let me just put how the New Living Translation um, you know, writes that, uh, uh, verses 11 through 13, and I'll read it to you. It says, Now, even now we go hungry and are thirsty, and thirsty, I'm sorry, and we don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We are often beaten and have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us, when we are treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash right up to the present moment. Who wants to sign up for that? Any takers? <laughs> you want that position in the church? Uh, is that what you want? I like, I like this, this one quote. It says, Today the church is heavy with the same attitude, as, same attitude of the Corinthian Christians. 
They were concerned about the image of worldly success and power, and many of them despised Paul and the other apostles because they did not display that image. Today there is no shortage of ministers who want to display the image of worldly success and power, and no shortage of Christians who will only value that in their minister. Listen, he's saying, you know, a servant of Christ, one that is willing to do what he's called them to do, not, not everybody was called to do this, certainly, but there is this position in Christ. Again, think of the God's pyramid kind of uh, uh, way of life, of the Christian life. You know, who is willing to do this? What kind of life is this? Uh, what a place to have. You know, he not, not, not all his life was like this, and not every ministry was like this, but there was a lot of this. And the, and the question is, you know, he's asking them who said, well, it's this, and we're spiritual, we got it together, and this, we think we know it's right, we know this, and this, and that. And, uh, you know, how, how could anybody be like this, be considered spiritual? And there are so many people like that today. There are so many churches that... Not so many, but there are churches out there that, you know, want to still kind of, the, the pastor's got to wear, you know, a three or $4,000 suit. You know, he, he has to have, you know, a, a, a very ornate place and it has to have plush seating and, and, and they'll go in and say, this is, see, this is what a man of God really looks like. You know, he drives a, a, a good car. I like to, um, I like to watch uh, some of the channels, some of uh, the channel that, uh, they rebuild cars and make cars and, and um, what's, that? what's the channel? I can't remember the name of that channel. Oh, it's a, a Motor Trend. And it's a channel. And then they'll take these old, you know, classic cars and some of them they'll make really cool and stuff. I like watching it and this and that. And I watched an episode the other day where, you know, this custom place was, uh, was called out to a pastor's home in, in Texas. And... You know, they were trying to be, they were Texans, so they're pretty respectful. As a general rule, Texans are, cer certainly native Texans are, are very respectful to the things of the Lord, even if they don't go to church. They're, it's just kind of a southern thing, it's a Texan thing. You know? But you can hear they're like, you know, this pastor of this church is going to get, you know, his car, and they're kind of going back and forth and being respectful, but like, you know, they're not sure what to expect, right? And then out, pulls this, when they pull up, it's this beautiful place. I mean, the church is beautiful. Not that a church shouldn't be beautiful. I, I Don't misunderstand me. And then he had this, in my opinion, it was like this mansion behind with like a, a six-car garage, right? But he had pulled up in front of this church, this, this GTO, which was, okay, I, you guys are not car people, or I'm losing you already. But it was just it was an awesome, rare car and an in incredible condition. I mean, incredible condition. We're talking, you know, over a $100,000 car, probably a $150,000 car, maybe even more. And, but, oh, no, that's not the car I want. Follow me around. He does this big burnout in the church parking lot, which I thought was a little cool. But then he pulls around, and, and he pulls out this rare split-window Corvette. I know I'm losing all your non-car people. And, and then you see in his garage all these, you know, other rare cars that are not you know, in rebuild condition and you're fixing them up and you're spending time, I mean, that are in beautiful condition. He pulls up this Corvette. It's worth at least $150,000 and it's in beautiful. And they're, you know, the people that, you know, are there to do the repair work are looking at it and, and they're like, this is the most beautiful Corvette I've seen or one of the most beautiful Corvettes. How could anybody want to do something different to this thing? It's spotless. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's rare. And it was. Oh, I don't really like the hood. And I, I want to refresh the interior. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, you know, I, it's not wrong to have money. And if the Lord blesses you with money, you know, God bless you. Use it, as we've talked about in the past, for gaining heavenly riches and not having a million dollar, two million dollar car collection, in my opinion, biblically. Um, but, and I was thinking, you know, 
you know, this is, is what some people, as, as this quote says, just think that's okay. They have it together. It just shows so much about them and this and that. And then you compare my little story and, and the you know, guy was dressed really good and it was just a beautiful place. And I, I'm not overselling that by any means. And then you look at what he says, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're poorly clothed, we're beaten, we're homeless. And I couldn't, that was not within the church. Don't misunderstand me. That was going, spreading the gospel, people not wanting to hear it, and then not having support. And then, you know, I had to find a job when I went to a new city. And so, you know, he was, you know, Paul could make tents and, uh, and all that. Um, and he had to do all this. And, um, um, and, and yet, you know, he's one of the greatest, you know, believers certainly in Scripture and maybe of all times. And I guess, you know, the Corinthians were thinking more like, and again, I don't know the guy that was on the TV show from anybody. I don't know anything more than what I just told you. But, you know, they would look at that and be impressed. Wow, okay, that's the guy wonderful. That's the guy that's successful. That's the guy that's got it together. That's the guy that is... And Paul says, here I am over here. And, and you know, from what I told you and from what I saw... Literally, you know, that's, there almost couldn't be any farther apart and opposite. And I, I guess we have to ask ourselves, you know, what are we willing to risk? Are we willing to risk to work with our own hands in places to support ourselves in this? Or to, to go without? Or to be mistreated to sh- when we share the gospel? Or to even for people to put us down, and they're going to be putting us down. Oh, oh, they are. You know, uh, good old California Governor Newsom, my boss, uh, just signed another whopper of a of a law. Uh, you know, it, it's 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 completely to, you know, it's it's completely anti-Christian. Of course, they call it it's uh, anti-discriminatory, but it discriminates against Christian worldview, right? Oh, that's coming. Are you willing to? Are you willing to get in trouble over that? Not to be a troublemaker, but just to be faithful in the ministry. Look look what Paul was willing to do. You know, we just have a hard time giving, you know, sometimes maybe because we think we're going to be short. I really can't give, I can't do this. That's a big sacrifice a lot of us face in the church. I really can't give this week or this month or this year because, you know, it might leave me short. <laughs> That's the big sacrifice. You know, a, or, or, I won't even say that. I won't even go that far because sometimes that's even removed. I, want, I don't really need to go to church this week or this month or maybe in the next six months because, you know, I got a busy schedule going on here. Um, and then you imagine that compared to, you know, what he's talking about here. Um, again, we might not even be able, you know, to have that thing. Oh man, sacrifice, you know, this little thing. And then you compare it to, you know, no way, I'm not going to do that. The Corinthians weren't ready to do that. No way, be something like that. That isn't even on the menu. Allow those things to happen at the leading of the Lord, being willing to, if that's God's calling on my life, and maybe some or one or a few of those areas. Not everybody was called to be that way and live that way. Don't misunderstand me. But what are we willing to risk? What are we willing to sacrifice? And their idea was, nope, let's just do drama in the church. <laughs> let's just have drama in the church and argue about who's the best and do this and that, blah, 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 you know? We don't want to go down to here. Let's just let's just you know get in a bunch of arguments and have drama in the church. Now, don't misunderstand. Verse fourteen, Paul says, "I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you." Through the gospel. And what Paul says here as we finish up is, you know, my whole whole reason of saying that isn't to make you feel bad 
uh, about where the Lord has me and where I am and how things are being treated, but I want you to remember what the Lord has done through me and my relationship with you. I was willing to go through those things, and he was. You can read the book of Acts and begin, you know, we get up to the the church in Corinth about Acts chapter 18. So if you really want to know what he went through, go back a few chapters and see, you know, some of the things that he went through. But he's saying, I, you know, I'm not doing this to get something out of you. I'm just willing to let you know and not to make you feel bad, but I was willing to do this. You know, you want to put me down as a nobody and not anybody special and you sure don't dress nice and you are not dressed for success and you don't look like you're this or that or whatever or sound this or there or whatever it is. But just remember, I, you know, I, I, you know, the Lord used me uh, and went through that, um, that, that I might bring you the gospel. And not to put you down, but just remember that, you know, I, I want you to remember what the Lord has done through me and my relationship with you. That I, I'm doing this not as a, a put down, but as a, a loving father or parent would lovingly instruct their children. Um, uh, I, I think it's one of the great things. I, I, I love it when um, every once in a while we go down to our old, old church that we came from, or we'll see some of them somewhere, but typically we go down there, and we don't go down there as often for, for a number of reasons. But, you know, when I, when I see people that I haven't seen for 10 years, or, you know, I say 10 years, I say five years, but sometimes it's even more than that. And, it, and you know, when you see them, that they're serving the Lord, and I remember when they were in high school, I know it sounds like I'm dating myself, or even when they were in junior high school, or when they were just start coming to church, and then you you know you see them five or ten or fifteen or twenty years later, and you know, uh, and 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 you know, and you you see what you know the Lord used maybe in, in, in you or in the Word, and you know have them come back and and talk about it. I, there's just it's, it's just a, it's such a great thing, and I feel like that's the way Paul was saying is like you know. I was faithful to bring it, and it cost me. It, it cost me in a lot of ways, as we just read, and probably a lot more ways that he didn't describe. He'll actually talk about even more things in 2 Corinthians, which we'll get to at some point. But, but he said, you know what? At the end of the day, you know, it's worth it all because, first of all, I'm serving the Master, and I'm doing what He's called me to do. And, and, and then I see you know, what God can do through... His word and through using people like me, and it's a great thing. So he finishes up and says, "Therefore, I urge you to imitate me, and for this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church." So obviously, Timothy brought this letter to the church there, and you know. Get your feet back on the ground, guys. Make sure you have your firm foundation in Jesus Christ and nothing else. And let me just remind you, it's the same wherever I go. It's consistent. There's this foundation we build in Jesus Christ and in His Word, and we build up our spiritual houses individually and corporately as the church uh, the same way. And it's sad when there are manipulators around or cults or some and others that are looking for some sort of gain, whether they're looking for people to puff up their egos or gain something monetarily or in some other way or manipulate people around there. He said, let me just tell you, it's going to happen. They're going to come. They're going to try to draw you to themselves. They're trying to feed their ego or their program, you know, and you get them through the church all the time is, oh, I can't just come over and attend my Bible study. You know, we're getting into some deeper things of the Lord, more spiritual than the, you know, what you hear from the pulpit on Sunday or Wednesday or whatever, you know, oh, it's, you know, those people are always rampant in the church. Well, they're always in the church, maybe not rampant, but you know, you have that around or other people that want to get a position for some kind of recognition or gain, or, or certainly always the cults are trying to draw away people, um, in that way, but just let me let you know, this is always the same where I go, no matter what I go. I teach, I live, I do the same thing because it's based on Jesus. 
it's based on the Word of God. And Timothy's coming to remind you of that. And then he says, Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love or the spirit of gentleness? And we'll get into this next time. But again, you know, there was, again, that feeling that they were putting down Paul and saying things behind his back. Uh, and there were those people and they were, you know, there's the same kind of people today that, you know, the, how they raise up is by stepping on others. You know, I'll put you down, which makes me look good. Then I'll step on you to make me look good. And I'll put you down to make me look good. And, and, you know, they were doing that. Paul says, listen, I know there's people in the church that are doing that. But, you know, in the end of the day, let, let's find out if, that, if they're from the Lord or if they're just talk. And we'll see how their life is lived and what's demonstrated by the power of the Spirit. Because it's going to be clear uh, who it is, you know, from the Lord, who's from the Lord, or who's just talking the talk. And we'll, we'll go into that next time. But as we finish here, again, just a great reminder of so many things that are applicable in our Christian life today, in our Christian church today. And again, it's a good question to ask is, you know, when you read Paul and the situation that he'd been up into, I mean, and then you look at our lives, you know, you think, man, what am I giving away? What am I really risking? What am I really willing to do? And you know, when you measure it, man, it's pretty minuscule. <laughs> Maybe it's microscopic <laughs> compared to, to some of that. And, you know, and don't think it's just, you know, back in those days. There's plenty of people that are ministering in the Middle East and in Asia, you know, all of Asia, you know, whether it's India, Asia, or China, Asia, or, you know, any part of the Orient in Asia where, you know, uh, you know, where Christianity is just not tolerated, or even in Europe where it's looked down upon as, as oppressive and all those other things, you know, or, or wherever, you know, here, you know, and they live pretty rough and they're put up with a lot and they have very little and sometimes what they have is even taken away from them just because of their faith. And, you know, we're here and God, you know, has us here, but okay, you know, um, it's not our our situation, but, you know, what are we willing? Where's our willingness? Are we willing to, you know, be made fun of? Are we willing to do this? Are we willing to be faithful? It's always a good question to ask ourselves. And, um, you know, are we willing to be the servants and the stewards and be faithful in it? That's what we have before us this morning. Well, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time again, Lord, and the education of what, you know, the, uh, a good foundation of, of uh, a faithful minister of the gospel looks like. And, and the Christian response and the Christian action in that and in the church, Lord, uh, very well defined. I know it's, a, it's, it's not an easy pill to swallow at times, Lord, and not the, necessarily the joy, joy, joy and rah, 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 we like to hear, but it's what we need to hear. And we are where we are, Lord, and I thank you for it. So, Lord, things that you've spoken to us, Lord, uh, remind us of those things. Encourage us, strengthen us, have us step out in faith. Lord, we, we, you know, let us not be subject to our own, you know, uh, opinions of others and, 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 you know, being worried about what, you know, oh, did I do this, or should I have done this, or wow, look how great I am, and all that kind of stuff, and get caught up in those things as well, Lord. Um, again, another thing that can just really weigh down our, our, our spiritual walks with you. And if there's some cleaning up that needs to be done, Lord, help us to be open and willing to do that. And what is it that we're not willing to let go? What do we need to hold on to? What, what will we miss out that wouldn't be given back to us, you know, gazillion fold in eternity. And most of us know it's nothing. So Lord, again, bless us with your word working through our lives, for we ask this in Jesus' name.